I think what this situation does is it provides us an opportunity to adopt telehealth technology and increase telemedicine services all across the board. Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. I'm your host, Shelly Chopra. The series is for healthcare leaders and organizations navigating the journey to value-based care and the ever-changing landscape of our healthcare industry. Our goal in this series is to bring to you disruptive success strategies for healthcare organizations, leveraging our experience and having worked with some of industry's top experts and thought leaders. And before I get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about this episode and other questions that might be top of your mind. With that, I'd like to welcome my co-host, Dan Marino, Managing Partner at Lumina Health Partners and an industry thought leader for value-based care. Dan, welcome. Thanks, Shelly. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dan. Dan, in our last podcast episode, we talked about how to set up for telehealth visits. What setup is needed in the office or at home to optimize the patient and provider experience when conducting care through telehealth technology? And what other things to be mindful of as you redesign the workflow, be it documentation, be it how to leverage the EMR templates um, when documenting the telehealth visit. And Dr. George Maisel in his webinar had some great pointers for our audience. By the way, I also want to point out to our listeners, if you want to go back and listen to the prior episode on telehealth with Dr. George Maisel, it's available on our podcast platforms. So Dan, let's talk about today the other side of completing the telehealth visit. Once you've conducted the visit with the patient, how to document it, bill for it, and apply the appropriate codes so you get reimbursed for it. Well, is as Dr. Mazel said on the previous podcast, changing the workflow to take advantage of the telemedicine, telehealth visit is really going to be important. The, the virtual visit is different than the in-person visit. And as he mentioned, you really need to think about how or what needs to occur when you're setting up the visit, the scheduling, as you're conducting the visit, and then what happens post-visit. So from a clinical perspective, that thinking through that clinical workflow is really going to be important. But as you mentioned, there's a whole other side to this, right? So mm -hmm. it's understanding how some of the administrative components and some of the billing components really need to support the telehealth visit to ensure that you're closing the loop with the patient, but also ensuring that you're billing and collecting appropriately. The last thing you want to do is overburden the patient with a telehealth or a telemedicine visit. Absolutely. And I'm so excited that joining us today for a podcast is our managing partner, Lucy Zielinski, who has worked with clients on setting up the telehealth visits and really brings forth a lot of practical tips and insights on how to appropriately bill, code, and get reimbursed for these visits. Lucy, welcome. Thank you, Shelley and Dan. Glad to be here. Well, Lucy, when you start to think about the telehealth visits and all those, you know, the, the, the clinical workflow, as we mentioned, and, and Dr. Maisel highlighted this a lot, um, you know, the, the, the administrative structure really does have to change. And maybe we could start at the top. 
there's a lot of nomenclature that's out there in terms of an e-visit, telehealth, telemedicine, all of those areas, virtual visit and so forth. Can you break down a little bit some or provide a little clarity on all of those areas if you can? Sure, Dan. You're absolutely right. There has been a lot of words used, um, many of those you mentioned and others. And I think the way um, I think of it, and, and there's uh, experts in the field who have defined it as such as well, whereas most of the work that physicians are doing relates to obviously clinical services. And performing remote clinical services is, can be termed as telemedicine. So the work that physicians are doing is telemedicine. And that telehealth term is a broader term, which really encompasses all healthcare services, which include things like training, meetings, uh, doing CME, as well as other uh, clinical services as well. So the way I think of it is, um, is that we're doing, physicians are doing telemedicine in a telehealth environment. Yeah, I agree. And then when we think about the telemedicine visit, you know, I think what, what I'm hearing from a lot of physicians and really from practices, practice managers in particular, is how they need to change the administrative workflow, right? So the clinical workflow is one thing, but what are some of those administrative tasks that they need to consider to think about as they begin to schedule, ensure that there's a right level of coverage, all of those elements? Yeah, so as you can imagine, um, the workflow is definitely different in a remote environment. If a physician, let's say, is working at her or his home versus in a medical practice. In a medical practice, you have a whole team of support. You have uh, somebody at the front desk, patient service reps, you have medical assistants, nurses, lab techs, and so, on, and so forth that support that visit. Whereas in a virtual environment, uh, you don't have the, that staff in your area. So some of the things that definitely change is you have to work collaboratively with your uh, staff at your office. So your patient service reps or your front desk staff have an added responsibility here where they are making sure that the patients are understanding the telemedicine visit and the details around that, making sure they have the right technology and so on and so forth, and sort of preparing that patient for the physician. And then secondly, the, the medical assistants can also support the visit by doing some screenings of the of the chart or, or the patient to, again, prepare that, do that pre-planning piece for the physician. And then working collaboratively together, the entire care team can then make sure that all of those components are in place so that physician does see the patient on time with all the information already uh, that's required that's in place. Like, for example, obtaining that informed consent, making sure the patient knows what the cost-sharing requirements may be. Yeah, it's all the requirements really that are important to ensure that the visit flows, right? So that, you know, the, the patient knows what their responsibility really is related to the visit. And then also too, just making sure you have clarity built around how you bill it and the reimbursement expectations, both from the payer and from the patient. Right. Right, and things are changing each, each and every day. When we look at uh, the relaxed or the, the broadened um, waivers that came out on March 6th, we've had several changes already, not only with CMS, with many other commercial payers. They're changing the cost-sharing requirements. They're changing the coding. They're changing whether a phone visit versus a video conference is, is required. So um, those are constantly changing. 
One of the questions that came out um, from our webinar that you and Dr. Maisel ran for us uh, sometime at the end of March um, was one around how the telehealth visit should be constructed or can it be performed for a new visit versus an established visit. And clearly, it, it, it's very advantageous for a follow-up visit for a patient that's already within a practice. But what about for a new visit? How is that structured? And maybe can you elaborate a little bit on that for our audience? Sure, sure. And so, Dan, with the, the March 30th um, release from CMS, they did expand coverage. And so now physicians are able to see new patients via telehealth and be covered. So for the most part, um, that visit is treated the same as it would in the office and all the documentation requirements and, and medical necessity would apply as such. However, there is a level of, of risk and many patients will, will definitely um, question whether or not they should be seeing a new patient because there is some risk there. So I would recommend that all providers check with their med mail carriers uh, just to make sure that they have the appropriate coverage in place. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And, you know, it's clear that an established visit just really lends itself well to the whole continuity of care of a patient within that practice. I think there's a real opportunity for them to include new patients in that, especially for those who may not necessarily have a doctor or maybe moved into that, in that community. But I, I agree that's, that's a great suggestion to check with their malpractice carrier just to see how it fits. And then to ensure that there's a comfort level built in with the physician and the clinical staff so that they have all the elements in place so they can see that new patient. Talk a little bit, if you can, about some of the, maybe some of the codes, you know, at a high level. There's a lot of codes that are out there. Are there particular codes or particular, um, you know, let's say, you know, uh, billing processes that you would recommend that the audience pay particular attention to as they think about how their coding needs to support the documentation and, of course, the documentation supporting the clinical work. Dan, coding is definitely key. Uh, using the right CPT or HICPIC code is important, not only for compliance, but for reimbursement. So CMS uh, expanded telehealth coverage. There are currently 191 payable telehealth codes. 85 of these were temporarily added. These codes have visits such as behavioral health, hospital visits, ER visits, as well as OT and PT evals. For the most part, physicians and APPs, especially primary care physicians, there are four categories of visits. The first one are the telehealth evaluation and management codes, or ENM codes. The good news is, is that these are not new to providers. Uh, these codes are the ones that physicians have used in their office, codes 99201 through 99215. Uh, they've used them for new and established patients. For these codes, just about all the payers are requiring audio-visual communication with the patient. In the March 30th uh, notice, document requirements have also been temporarily modified. Specifically, CMS removed the requirement for history and physical exam, and now they're requiring providers uh, to use medical decision-making or time to select the level of code. 
The second set of codes are the telephone E&M codes and CMS just added coverage for these services on March 30th and we're starting to see many commercial carriers following suit. The, these codes are 99441 through 99443. And these are used for patients who don't have access to audiovisual technology. I'm hearing from physicians that some older patients don't have the capability for video. Uh, my mom is a perfect example. So these codes would be a good alternative to the first set. The third set of codes are these virtual check-in. Uh, these are brief five to 10 minute check-ins to determine if an evaluation and management visit is warranted. The code is G2012. And typically these codes can be used for blood pressure checks, A1C checks, or reporting normal results. The fourth set of codes are e-visits or online digital E&M codes using uh, messaging technology like a patient portal or email. The codes are 99421 through 99423. And not many providers are using these. They're using more of the audiovisual. However, if your patients are, are using the patient portal to communicate, you can definitely be billing these codes. And as always, I wanted to stress that all services must be medically necessary and that documentation must support the service that was built. With telehealth documenting medical decision-making and or time spent, definitely key. So when we think through then the, the administrative workflow that has to occur to support the telemedicine visit. There's the pre-visit workflow, and I think the important component there is what the, the patient service representatives need to do to interact with the patients. I thought Dr. Maisel did a real nice job of talking about you know, the, the pre-visit activities and how you engage with the patient. And then of course, there's the, the activity that needs to occur during the visit, and then you have the post-visit activities, as you had mentioned, the most common codes, and then understanding, you know, how that needs to be reimbursed and so forth. Let's spend a few minutes talking about the level of reimbursement um, and how we, you know, how practices can help think about the right codes and the structures and so forth. You know, when, when Medicare went ahead and relaxed a lot of their requirements and allowed for the telehealth visit, they made it pretty clear in terms of what they were going to reimburse and the type of codes and so forth, there seems to be a lot of confusion out there from the commercial carriers. Um, as you know, you know, many of the commercial carriers have their own requirements. Some of them will allow certain modifiers to certain places services, others don't. What advice would you give to our audience to help them kind of think through, you know, that mess, if you will, and how to really understand what would be reimbursed and what are the requirements from their payers? That's a good point, Dan. There's a lot of changes that are still occurring today. For the most part, uh, I would recommend that in order for providers to have accurate reimbursement, they have to use the right CPT or the HCPCS codes along with the right modifier in place of service. Uh, Medicare indicated that they will pay providers as if services were furnished in person and instructs providers to bill as such. So for example, Medicare is instructing providers to bill for telehealth services using the same place of service code that providers would have reported 
had the service been furnished in person. So for example, if providers used place of service 11 in the past, then they should use place of service 11 again. And then Medicare is instructing providers to append the 95 modifier. So this ensures that providers will be paid at that same rate that they currently are getting paid for in office visits. I see many commercial carriers following the same guidelines. However, not all. Here in Illinois, Medicaid is actually requesting providers bill place of service two and modifier GT for telehealth services. And some commercial payers um, are instructing providers to use different place service or, or, or modifiers as well. So for these reasons, I would recommend that all providers check with their carriers uh, and understand the right modifier and place of service code for all telehealth services. And then you want to make sure you monitor payments uh, to ensure that you are being reimbursed at the right rate and uh, managing those denials so you can quickly course correct. So Lucy, I would think that as the practices become more proficient in telehealth, telemedicine visits, the revenue looks pretty consistent to a, um, an in-person office visit. But I can't help but think that the office expenses would be much lower. There's, you know, if you think about it, the main expense that you have is going to be with the technology. There's not a whole lot of staffing expense there. I would think that the economics would prove out being pretty advantageous to a practice as they think about incorporating, let's say, two or three or even four visits an hour if they're able to get to that point. Well, Dan, I think... You know, that's a, that's a tough question, uh, but I think the margins can, there's, there's an opportunity for them to be better than they have been in the past uh, with telehealth. Uh, a question I, I've been asked recently is how productive can a physician be doing telehealth? Um, and my answer has been that it really depends on the type of patients, technology, and learning curve um, exists. Most practices now are experiencing a 50% reduction in volume in their offices, so they are replacing that with telehealth. And I think with telehealth, um, physicians are finding after the initial learning curve that they are more productive. I would probably guess that that productivity could potentially increase by 10 or 20% as uh, they become more efficient, efficient with the technology and they figure out that workflow. If you think about it, physicians aren't moving from room to room. They don't have that interruption from staff. They are more focused. And so I think for this reason, they can be a lot more productive and see more patients doing telehealth services. And I think they also can maintain their work RVUs if they're compensated on a, on a productivity-based model. Then on the flip side, I think expenses may be reduced with telehealth services, maybe not at this point, but uh, I think down the road, there is less requirement for staff, supply and equipment expenses be reduced as well. I mean, think about it, you, you don't need to staff exam rooms or, or patient gowns and that sort of thing. All in all, I think after this learning curve, I think the financial margins will be advantageous to providers. Are there any other advice that you would give to the practices that would help them kind of think about how they need to, what they need to put in place or what they need to focus on in order to ensure that the telehealth visit, you know, performs smoothly and actually is integrated well into their workflows? Hmm. 
I would think one of the, one of the most important things is to have a, a, a plan in place with a team and maybe a, a champion. Uh, so identifying somebody in your office who's very tech savvy, who can wrap their um, arm, arms around the whole scheduling piece, the technology piece, and help train the providers and, and the other staff on that. I think that's important. And then tightening up that schedule, um, tightening up the workflow as well as that schedule because <laughs> you can't really be late on, a, on an office visit or virtually if you think about it. About it. Yeah, Dr. Maisel definitely highlighted that and I couldn't agree with you more. I think making sure that those activities are really tight and you have good communication and set the ex expectation with the patients, I think are really gonna be important. So Lucy, when talking to some of the practices, it's a little unclear in terms of what the requirements are from some of the commercial carriers. You know, when Medicare released their, their new requirements or relaxed a lot of the requirements around telehealth and made it payable, they were really clear in terms of how to bill, what codes to use, the place of service, what the level of reimbursement is, and, and so forth. For the commercial carriers, there's been less clarity around that. Any advice that you would give to the practices on how they could, let's say, you know, interact with the commercial carriers and, and provide a little more clarity around their telehealth visits and some of the requirements around it? Sure. Uh, so the, the commercial carriers are definitely following suit. Many of them are, are having webinars and, and publishing uh, their policies online. So I would recommend you identify your practices should identify their top payers and uh, research, pr obtain that information and put that together in a grid that identifies those policies, what the requirements are, what the patient cost sharing is what codes uh, they, they would want used in, in the reimbursement as well. So I think it's, it's, it's critical that they do that now and then position themselves for, uh, to continue doing telehealth services in the future. Dan, if you think about it, I think this is a great jump and off point uh, to increase adoption of telehealth services. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, we've been talking about this in the industry for quite some time. And now I think as practices start to expand their telemedicine, telehealth services to patients, this is really going to expand the access points for patients and allow us to really treat patients in a different manner that you can't help think is going to be really advantageous to the entire system. Absolutely. And in the past, a lot of these commercial carriers even um, restricted or had exclusive contracts with certain uh, vendors of telehealth services. So I think we're going to see an expansion, expansion of that, that uh, primary care physicians and many of the in-network providers can provide telehealth services to their patients. And I think if you think about it, Dan, that also increases um, patient satisfaction and provider satisfaction as well. Well, Lucy, this was great. Really appreciate your time today. I think you gave us quite a bit of fantastic information as we think about how we need to incorporate a lot of these administrative criteria into the telehealth visit. And I think it's a fantastic compliment to what Dr. Maisel provided with us um, on our last podcast. So Shelly, one of the things that I particularly enjoyed about our conversation with Lucy today was that she provided a real practical approach as to how the administrative criteria and workflow needs to complement the clinical workflow. 
Absolutely. And, you know, what I like is, you know, a couple of points that jumped out to me was take time to almost map out the workflow. Switching to telehealth technology, as important as it is to set up the actual technology part and train the providers, it is equally important to train the entire staff that is going to touch the workflow from beginning to end. So whether that's the pre-visit stuff, you know, Lucy's suggestion on perhaps the MAs reaching out to the patient and prepping them for the telehealth visit, provider conducting the telehealth visit, and then the administrative staff knowing the appropriate codes to bill for so that the reimbursement is smooth. And I particularly like the idea Lucy um, shared, which was to maybe invest a little bit of time looking at your top payers, researching and coming back with the grid. That could be such a helpful tool to smoothen this transition go forward because these are not one-time changes. This continues to evolve. So really investing some time in that would be very valuable. Yes, absolutely. And especially like you said, just you know, working with your commercial carriers to really identify what the billing requirements are, the level of reimbursement and so forth. I know for a lot of our clients, we've been helping them pull together this playbook that kind of outlines what needs to occur during a telehealth visit, the documentation requirements, coding requirements, billing um, opportunities, as well as the reimbursement opportunities. I would really encourage practices to almost develop a playbook like that on their own. It becomes a fantastic resource for the staff and the providers for that matter to really understand what needs to occur and how it needs to occur within the practice. Absolutely. Well, Dan, I want to thank out our listeners for listening into today's episode of Value-Based Insights Podcast. We at Lumina are your partners on the journey to value-based care. This topic is certainly top of everybody's mind. And to learn more about this topic, you can visit us on our website, www.luminahb.com. Don't forget to check out our insights page where we have additional blogs, thought leadership, and even transcript from our podcast episodes. Join us again next time where we continue to highlight topics that are top of your mind in these times of change. And until then, have a great day.